0: Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. So today we are continuing a series called Last Instructions, and we're looking at the last week of Jesus' ministry. Now, Easter is the center of the gospel story. Easter is the center of everything that Jesus came to do, that everything that Jesus came to lead and to create and to do. And so this time in the gospel, This is the time when Jesus is at the core of what's going on. This is the center of what he came to do and to lead. And so we are in this moment in the story where Jesus is in the last week of his ministry preparing for what happens next. And so last week, even though today is Palm Sunday, last week we looked at the entry into Jerusalem. We looked at when Jesus came into the city and he was welcomed with people waving palm fronds and laying their cloaks on the road in front of him, giving him a welcome that is fit for a king. And so then after Jesus entered Jerusalem he goes to the temple and he kicks out the money changers and the animal salesmen and he kicks out the people that were extorting the people because of their faith. And again we talked about how the Pharisees they weren't upset with Jesus that he kicked out the money changers because really the Pharisees and the religious leaders should have been the ones to do that. But instead what they get upset at Jesus about is that Jesus allowed people to praise and worship him. Because Jesus knew that he is, the, he is God himself, that he has come to earth to accomplish what God sent him to do. But now as we reach the last week, there's this question that often I look at and I think about when I look at this time period that Jesus had with his disciples, is how does Jesus prepare his disciples for what will happen next? How does Jesus prepare his disciples for what's going to happen after Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial and he gets crucified And then he knows he's going to rise from the grave, but the disciples, even though Jesus has been telling them that this is going to happen, the disciples aren't believing him the disciples haven't followed this and in fact if we go to the gospel of matthew in the middle of the gospel of matthew jesus tells his disciples this plainly and matthew includes this editorial note he says from then on jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to jerusalem that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law he would be killed but on the third day he would be raised from the dead But the disciples, they maybe thought this was metaphorical or maybe they just didn't believe him on this, but they just thought, you can't die. You're the Messiah. How can you die? Because there was a lot of expectations on Jesus. There was a lot of expectations about who he was and what he would accomplish and what he would do. And a lot of these expectations kind of fell into two bigger categories. There was the expectation that Jesus would become a militaristic leader, a king of the nation, that he would overthrow Rome and restore Israel to a state of independence that they had thousands of years earlier. Or there was also people expecting that Jesus would become a great high king, that he would transform and renew their temple practices and bring the people back into a renewed devotion with God. But even On this last evening that Jesus had with his disciples, the disciples are carrying a wide range of expectations into the last evening they had with Jesus. They had different expectations of what they were going to do and what was going to happen next. And even Judas himself, Judas who goes and will later betray Jesus, there is a lot of scholarly opinion and a lot of research and a lot of digging into scriptures that are pointing out that maybe Judas didn't expect that Jesus would die. There's a lot of evidence in scripture pointing to that maybe Judas's intention was just that he thought he was going to be the catalyst to set off this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders that would usher in what the Messiah needed to do. But Jesus, as he comes to Jerusalem, he knew what he was coming towards and he came to accomplish something far beyond any expectation of the crowds, the religious leaders, and even his own disciples. Because Jesus was always looking forward at the bigger picture. Jesus was always looking ahead at the longer purpose of what he came to accomplish and achieve. And even on this last evening he has with his disciples, Jesus was looking ahead at what would happen next for his closest group of followers. Because Jesus was about to hand them the responsibility to carry on the movement and what he had come to begin. He was about to hand all that responsibility to his disciples. So what do you say to your closest group of followers? What do you say to them when you're about to leave? Well, Jesus starts with something that they did not expect at all. And so we're going to spend our time today in the Gospel of John, mostly in John 13 and 14. But the whole last evening discourse stretches from John 13 to John 17. And we're just going to look at the first portion of that today. And so John, as he's writing this gospel, he begins with this editorial note, kind of framing this portion of his gospel. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. And so as they're getting ready for this, Jesus knows that he has this authority. He knows he has the ability to, to give his disciples this instructions and this, these teachings. But then what Jesus does next shocks his disciples and it tells us this in John 13 verses 4 and 5 so he Jesus got up from the table took off his robe and wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had around them now we look at this and we think wait washing their feet why was he doing this now in the ancient middle east in this time period in the first century in the mediterranean foot washing was a common practice In fact, if you had a guest come to your home, part of how you would welcome them into your home is you would provide a basin of water and a towel for your guests to wash their own feet. Or maybe if you really wanted to respect and honor them, if they were someone important, you know, maybe a parent or an uncle, or maybe someone well recognized in their community, you might have one of your household servants or whoever was considered the lowest class member of your household, which would have been a woman would be who would wash that person's feet. But if there was no servant available, your guest would wash their own feet. And so when Jesus does this, when Jesus takes off his robe, puts a towel around his waist, and starts washing his disciples' feet, he is completely breaking that. Because he is the rabbi, he is the teacher, he is the most important person in the room, and the most important person in the room did not do this under their customs and in their culture. And so Peter is not comfortable with this. And so it says in the next verse, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus just replies to him, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. And Peter says "Well, to Jesus, well, if you're going to wash my feet, well, wash me all over, wash my head and my hands. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not necessary. A person who is clean only needs their feet to be washed, to be completely clean. And again, he says this and the disciples don't understand why Jesus has done this, why he has broken their cultural traditions, why he has broken their practices, and then why he refused this request of Peter to say, no, I'm only washing your feet. And so John continues, a couple verses later, he says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Do you understand what I did? And this is our cue. That Jesus is about to teach them what he just did. He's about to tell them, no, no, this is what's going on here. And Jesus continues. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. Now, before you're sitting here and maybe online you're thinking, man, it's good I'm not there because suddenly Brian's going to pull out a whole bunch of basins of water and a whole bunch of towels and make everyone wash each other's feet. We're not doing that. Because Jesus is not talking about literal foot washing. Foot washing is a common practice of that time period. In fact, there is little to no evidence that foot washing was adopted as a practice of the early church. Now, different faith traditions in different time periods, and even some today, will practice foot washing as a ceremonial rite. It happens once or on an occasion or at certain points in the calendar year as a symbolic gesture. You know, we don't wash people's feet as they enter our homes. Now it's spring, it's muddy, you know, we take off, we're Canadians, we take off our shoes when we come inside. That's the proper thing to do. Maybe that's the modern equivalent. But Jesus is not talking about a literal practice of foot washing when he says, I have given you example to follow. Do as I have done for you. Instead, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is talking about something far bigger than just a practice of washing someone's feet. He's talking about having a posture of service towards one another. And so his instruction was not about the specific practice of foot washing. It was about serving one another from a posture of humility. It was about taking this position of, I will do whatever is needed to show care and love to one another. Now, Jesus doesn't even use the word humble in his explanation. Instead, he allows his actions to reveal his humility. And I think the reason for that is, is kind of quite straightforward, because if you have to tell someone that you're humble, you've just proven that you're not. If you have to assert and claim, oh, I'm a humble person, you've just proved the opposite. You're not. Humility is something that can only be shown. It has to be lived out. And so this is the example that he is giving to his disciples. That this level of humility, this level of serving and caring for one another is a non-negotiable for being part of Jesus' followers, for being part of the early church, for being part of this movement that Jesus is beginning. And this leads into the rest of the instructions Jesus gives. He gives this foundation of humility and service as the underlying basis for everything he's about to say next. And so if we jump ahead, Jesus says to his disciples, and he knows that they are feeling a high level of tension. Now, he knows that the attitude in, in Jerusalem has reached a fever pitch, that everyone is upset, everyone is you know, concerned about what's going to happen about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who some people believe he's the Messiah, some people believe he's a false teacher, some people believe he's a prophet. And there's all this tension. And so Jesus wants to reassure his disciples. And so he tells them this. He says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. He's reaffirming this again. I'm going to leave. You can't follow where I'm going. And so he says this. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When Jesus says, I am giving you a new commandment, his disciples who are, you know, good Jewish boys that have grown up, they understand their law, they understand that the law, the commandments of the law were not something that was ever to be changed. And so when Jesus again says, I give you a new commandment, he is again breaking all their cultural norms. First, he gets down, he washes their feet, something a rabbi and teacher should never do to his disciples. Then he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm replacing the commandments that you have known since you were a child. He's again breaking down these things that they would have been part of the structure of their religious belief. And Jesus is doing this to say, here's what's important. Love one another just as I have loved you. And furthermore, this love you have for one another This will be the example to the world that you follow me. Your example to the world will no longer be that you keep the covenant. Your example will no longer be that you follow the law of Moses. Your example to the world is how you love one another. And so the disciples, understandably, are likely reeling a little bit at this because they've heard everything Jesus said up to this point, but Jesus is getting really blunt about this new commandment, new covenant stuff that he's leading them to and talking about. And so Jesus addresses that. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. He's trying to calm their fears in this last evening he has with them. And then he gives this teaching that maybe you've likely heard before if you've grown up in the church or have a faith background. One of his disciples asks a question and Jesus responds this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one could come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, the language is a little complicated in this statement here. But Jesus is telling them, no one can come to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, if you had recognized who I was from the very beginning, you would have seen this from the very beginning. But now, at the end of his three years with his disciples, he's making it as clear and plain as he can to them that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the father and that actually reflects back to something john says at the very beginning of this gospel when he has this prologue this story he talks about he says the fullness of the father was revealed in him the fullness of the father was revealed in jesus and so jesus is drawing them to this new commandment this new purpose for them but he doesn't want them to be scared and so he gives them this reassurance and this promise And this starts the largest portion of teaching in the Gospels that Jesus gives about the Holy Spirit. And it's one of these passages where we see all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, active together in one moment. We see this in John 14, verse 15 and 16, where Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. So Jesus is saying, I am going to the Father, And I'm asking the Father to send you the Advocate, which is a a term he uses for the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. He's saying you're not going to be abandoned. And he repeats this, and he says this again in the next verses. He says he is the Holy Spirit. This Advocate the Father will send is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And I like some translations put that phrase saying, he is with you now and later will be within you. That the Holy Spirit is near, the Holy Spirit is with the disciples. And soon, at a date coming up, the Holy Spirit will live and dwell within them, within Jesus' followers. And then he repeats this again, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. See, Jesus is pointing out that the Holy Spirit has been present In everything they've done the holy spirit is present throughout all of the gospels and now as this movement that jesus is about to kind of kick off and inaugurate with his death and resurrection the holy spirit is moving to be within his followers empowering and leading them and back in january we started a sermon series called a story of change and we were talking about the early church and we spent two weeks on the day of pentecost the day that the holy spirit came to dwell with jesus's followers to be with them and we we pause that series and we're going to come back to it eventually we kind of stuck a couple other series in the middle here but what we were talking about that is the empowerment that the holy spirit gave to the disciples the empowerment that the holy spirit gave to enable them to do everything that jesus commanded them to do in that same empowerment is available for us through the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit has sustained and continued this movement that we call the church, the gathering of people. Not the building, not the service, but church is the people that are gathered together. And so the disciples of the early church followed Jesus' example, and they focused on serving one another with humility and love as they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this way of life that was so different than the structured and stratified Method and way that the ancient Near East was during this time period is what made the church into such a powerful movement that it still exists today. And so, this radically different path that Jesus is sending his disciples on and even steering them towards on the last evening he has with them before he will be arrested is about reminding them of this. Because underlining this whole passage of John is this foundation of humility and love that that is the core characteristics of the church and us as followers of jesus today and the reason why this is so difficult to do is it is difficult to be humble and love and serve one another because it requires us to choose the opposite of our own selfish nature our own nature is always to think me first that's our default that's our survival instinct that's what Allows us to exist and to survive through difficult situations. But when you're out of attention moment, that self centeredness doesn't serve a community well. It doesn't serve our relationships well. It doesn't serve our friends, our family. It doesn't serve the people we're around. And so that's why I think Jesus began this evening with foot washing, with this tangible demonstration of the most important person to ever walk the earth dressing as a servant and washing his students his disciples' feet this is an example of humility and love that requires us to go beyond what's in it for me but actually to say what's in it for others because that's what we're called to as followers of Jesus and that's hard to do and that's why i think Jesus put this teaching on the holy spirit in the midst of that of saying the holy spirit will be the one to lead you in this. And later on, Paul the Apostle is writing about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of saying, this is what the Holy Spirit builds in you. And all those characteristics that Paul lists, all those characteristics are integral parts of living with humility and love and service to others. And so as we're in this last evening discourse, this last time of teaching that Jesus has with his disciples, I always get drawn to this, what does it mean to serve one another from a posture of humility and love? Because that's what Jesus is steering them to. Because we can also think, what are the things that Jesus did not steer them to? Jesus did not steer them to fight against the religious leaders and the Roman rule of the day. He did not steer them to say, you will set up your own kingdom and your own nation. You will set up you know you need to create your own place where you can worship me separate from everyone else that's not what jesus did in fact what jesus did was much more kind of subtle in the way that it created a revolution in the world because a revolution of humility and love and service is what toppled empires is what took christianity after jesus death and resurrection there was 120 people gathered in jerusalem That was it. Now, there was more than 120 people that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but it was only 120 that were willing to gather and be present in Jerusalem and to pray and wait for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as we talked about in January, when we looked at the day of Pentecost, they went from 120 to over 3,000 in one day when Peter, Peter, the guy who always gets it wrong in the Gospels, Peter gets up and delivers a powerful sermon drawing back to their history pointing to everything that Jesus has done was fulfilling this. I'm always amazed when I think, how did Peter, the guy who says to Jesus, well, no, no, don't wash my feet, wash all of me. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you're getting it wrong. Peter went from that to the most powerful preacher in the known world at that time because of the Holy Spirit. It is only through humility and love and service that the Holy Spirit is able to work in us and through us To influence those around us and so that's a question that i want to leave us to wrestle with as we come into easter what does it mean to serve others from a posture of humility and love what does it mean to put others first in our lives and you know we've been living in a global pandemic for over a year now and the number one message that i keep seeing in all our public health orders is think of others They don't say it that bluntly. They say it in terms of this is what you can and can't do. But if you think about what it means to follow public health orders right now is to put someone else's health and safety above your own. This is a logical explanation of what Jesus taught us to do. And so if Jesus was here today walking the earth during this time period, I think he'd wear a mask. I think he'd wait his turn and sign up for a vaccine even though he wouldn't have needed it. Because it was about putting others first. And so as we come to Easter, you know, as many of us are not looking forward to an Easter where we can't gather with our families, this is temporary, this is short-term, but Jesus was always working the long game. God is always working the long game in Scripture and seeing past that. And so again this year, Easter may not be what we want it to be. We would like this room to be a lot fuller than it is. We would like to have kids' own running and our kids learning about who Jesus is. But we can still be together. We can still remember that everything we're doing right now is about having this posture of love and humility to others. So Let me close with a prayer. God, thank you for your example. For your example that we look at sometimes and we scratch our heads and we say, how can we do that? How can we live with the humility that you had? But even in that, you knew that we would struggle with these things. You knew that we would find this difficult. And so you sent your Holy Spirit to empower and lead us. You gave us your word. You gave us the writings of your followers and preserved them so that we could learn from you still today. And so God, as a community of faith, as followers of you, would you convict us of this need to serve one another out of humility and love? Not to serve one another out of a desire for prestige, or recognition, or anything gained for us, but to recognize that we do this out of humility and love for you. And so God, would you just be tugging at our hearts and opening our eyes to opportunities where we can reveal your love to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. So, Folks, everyone, thank you for being here. For those of you in the room, you're welcome to stay for a bit and visit. You just have to remain seated and two rows apart from the person you're visiting with or you're welcome to head out into the parking lot. And I just want to encourage you to, it is a parking lot, be careful, but please maintain social distancing and keep your masks on even in the parking lot too. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening.